0: It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner.
1: The middle. My name is Anthony Wiener. Thank you so much for being here. The middle. It's a show from two to three where we kind of say to the far left and the far right, have your say, but not in this particular hour. This is an hour where we try to find common ground. We don't ask people to leave their ideology behind. We know people have things they believe, but we say that this is a place we're not going to pay as much attention to the hot takes. It's great to have you along. We're here till three o'clock. Then left versus right. Curtis Lee will come in at three o'clock. He and I will be exploring some stuff closer to home, also be talking about some of the issues that uh, have got Curtis fired up. It doesn't take much to fire up Curtis Lee when he's got some stuff to work with today. You can reach us all the time on 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We've got Ryan and Rich on the other side of the board, on the other side of glass. Kevin is helping us out. I can be reached at, at Rep Wiener on Twitter and uh, WienerWABC at gmail.com. And if you miss the show every week, it's available as a podcast almost immediately. The Red Apple Podcast Network has this show, has the other podcast I do called Keys to the City. That's available right now Episode 13. We talk about New York City's challenges and particularly what small business faces, and we talk about some real solutions, and then I get some feedback from a great expert. It's great to have you along. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, husky today because a little bit of a, a little bit of a cold, the change of temperature, perhaps. Perhaps it was fasting for yom kippur. I'm not sure, um, but I'm really grateful to be here. Jordan is playing his second game today. Uh, his mom is with him. She's been sending me some videotapes, some updates. They are not doing super well. I think they're trailing five to one. Jordan is. Uh, She's sending me his his shifts. He's playing fourth line on the right wing. He's not one of the stars, but I give him a lot of credit. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. It's great to see him out there. And it's also, um, you know, his mom is, uh, you know, this is kind of my activity with Jordan. Like I help him get dressed and everything else. And so she's getting a taste of it today, and she's been a great sport about it. So that's great. Didn't get an opportunity this week um, just to start to lend my voice to the many that are sharing about the condolences we're expressing to Bernard Bergurk's family and the memories that we have of him. Um, we lost him this week. Any listener to WABC has, uh, has heard that news by now. Um, I had the great opportunity. to I got to know him, I guess, in a way that many people don't. I started out just being a fan of FAN. I was, you know, while Curtis and I talk about our remembrances of WABC when we were kids and Cousin Brucey and Harry Harrison and the like, I started really listening to radio um when I came back from Washington D.C. after I had gone to college I went to D.C., worked for a few years there and then I came back to kind of start my own political career. I worked for Chuck Schumer <clears throat> and I um when it was it was the kind of the start of of sports radio at about that time. You know, you had some sports radio guys on the, on the radio, guys like Arthur George, Russ Jr. and things like that. But FAN was getting launched, and Mike and the Mad Dog were a thing. And I started listening to them, to them regularly, and they introduced me to Don Imus. I didn't know Don Imus from his NBC days, um, but I got to know Bernie. You know, I guess, you know, it, it, for those of you who remember Imus' show, you know, the worst thing that Imus can say, the thing in his vocabulary that he used the most when he wanted to be most disdainful. Is he would call someone a phony? That was the worst thing you could possibly be. And much of the appeal of Imus's crew, Charles McCord and Lou, who's still here, he works with Bernie and Sid, um, still does. And Bernie himself was that you were in on this conversation that really seemed authentic. It didn't seem at all phony. You really felt like you were part of their family. Um, but the 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 real Bernie in this context was harder to nail down because he was also a performer on the show. You know, he'd come on as Cardinal O'Connor. He was. Um he was the foil for Don as the bald headed stooge and everything else. And and you but you'd occasionally get glimpses, just as a listener, of his Street Smart and his book smart when you know Imus would reach for an illusion or a reference or a person in the news and Bernie would always be there to catch him. He would always be there to say, All right, here's who you mean, or here's the book you mean, or here's the historical reference that you're you're reaching for. So you always got the sense that there was a lot to Bernie that he wasn't revealing as this um, as this behind-the-scenes sidekick kind of character. But I got to know him also when I would come on as a guest with Imus. And and Imus, when he was being uh, uh, um, telecast, he'd, you know, you'd go into the studio. You wouldn't just call in. You'd go and you'd sit there with him. and And I was – I think they liked having me on the show because, you know, I – you know, pushed back on Imus, and I called him names and made fun of him and everything else. And um, But it wasn't – I didn't really get to know the real Bernie until he had his own show with Sid That back in the Cumulus days that you've heard a lot about. This is like 2016. And I was starting to explore doing more radio, um, and I had even filled in – I'd been a guest on their show with Bernie. And I was starting to see Bernie and Sid the way I had not seen them really before because – when you're a sidekick, you have a very prescribed role and I got to know Bernie and Sid, but particularly Bernie as he was a really he was just very kind to me. You know, this is two thousand sixteen. I hadn't yet hit my real bottom. I hadn't yet gone to prison, but I was, you know, still I was a figure in New York City. And he would make fun, he would he followed the rule, singe don't burn. You can tell he was being playful but didn't want you know, wanted me to be comfortable. Um there were occasions where sometimes people may might go over the line. He never did and offline he was just very nice and very kind and and i got to see a side of bernie that i didn't know and that was the 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 uh, the person who had very real ideological opinions and who was very well read and who and who i think he grew into being a much more strident conservative voice as the marketplace led in that direction but also i think you know just the whole debate became much more strident on both sides of the aisle something we talk about here in the middle a lot and i i just want to say that he he was a genuine person he was not a phony by any stretch of the imagination and um and i i i really am am honored and privileged and know him as well as obviously is as, as my heart goes out to Sid for he lost a true brother and um may his memory be a blessing to us all and his family remain in my prayers and um he will be he will will be missed and i'm glad I have a, a moment to say that uh, to say that now and and I, I'd like to start the show with numbers of the week, and in Bernie's honor, I'm going to start with one, and that is 41.8. That is the percent that um, screening, cancer screenings for colorectal cancer have been on the decline since COVID. People are not getting screenings for that. Uh, um, um, cancer screenings for breast cancer are down 36%. Cancer screenings for cervical cancer, 54%. Um, this is just a reminder that, you know, some of these cancers – We got into the habit of going and getting checkups at reasonable times. And now since COVID, they've been really on the decline. And let's let's all kind of take the lesson that we that we learn when we lose a loved one to be more disciplined and vigilant about that. Um, Another one is one hundred and seventy five numbers of the week. Number one hundred and seventy five. That is the number of days this year that the New York Mets were in first place. One hundred and seventy five and the Braves. We're in first place for eight days this year. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Curtis is going to want to talk about it. I'm not sure I really feel like it. Um, but a horrible performance last night by Matt Scherzer. I, you know, you know what it makes me, it reminds me of as a Met fan was 2007 game 162 where, where Glavin was on the mound and they batted around, it, you know, against the Marlins. We just had to win one game to get into the playoffs and it was kind of like that you know like when you rely and lean so heavily on a pitcher when you pay him so much money and he comes up goose eggs like that i know he's probably hurt we'll probably get all we'll hear all about that and it's not you know it's not over but boy was that a depressing night the worst kind of depressing night um and so that's another number of the week another number of the week 15 15 of 19 of the homicide bombers on 911 were saudis I just want to say that again. We talked about this in Episode 11. I'm raising it again because we saw the Saudis do what the Saudis always do, and that is when it comes to anything that we need them to do, that is in the United States' best interest, whether it is helping us get to the bottom of what happened on September 11th or just doing basic things like being a good member of the world community when it's time to put the screws to to Russia, they won't do it. They never have. I mean – it is hard to describe them as an ally using even the most generous definition of the word. And if you want to say, well, Biden shouldn't go met there. If you want to say Jared Kushner shouldn't take $2 billion of blood money, whatever it is, I think our policy has to change. We have to start seeing the Saudis for what they are. They are not our allies. And you can hear more about this in Episode 11. It's available on a podcast. And, um, and so that's one of the numbers of the week. Another one. I had trouble coming up with a number of the week for this news item. So this one's a little bit lame. 19, that's the 19th century. In the 19th century, there was no social media. Those might have might have been blissful days if you're a politician like I was. But, And I point that out because this week, the gun law that was put into place by the state of New York, putting limitations on where and how you can get a gun license and a licensed firearm was struck down by the Court of Appeals. And one of the reasons that they said is that because... The Supreme Court says you have to use regulations that might have been in effect or commonly available and commonly discussed in the 18th and 19th century when the Second Amendment, um, when these restrictions around gun ownership were first put into place, meaning the originalist view of the Supreme Court. Well, one of the things in this new law that says you can go look at someone's social media posts, and why do we do that? It's because left and right, all of us in the middle, have always said, you know, very often these mass murderers they go out they all they talk about things on social media why don't we just spend more time paying attention to the risks posed by people on social media well since we referred to something in the law going back and looking at their social media posts going back several months to make sure you're not giving it to someone who's saying i'm going to go out and get a gun the the court of appeals struck it down because the supreme court they did the court of appeals interpreted the law the way the supreme court told them to and that is If it wasn't originalist thinking, and since social media wasn't around, they struck that down, so now they've got to go back to the drawing board. We talked all about this on episode 14. You can go back and take a look at that. Another number of the week, 6,500. That's the number of people that are in federal prisons because they were convicted of simple possession of marijuana. They're going to get pardoned by the president. Good for him. There's no reason we should be holding people in prison for something that is common, that is legal today. You might say only 6,500 people. Yeah, because most Crimes, marijuana crimes are not federal crimes. They're usually local crimes, hopefully. Localities also decriminalize these things. I am very concerned about recreational use of marijuana, legal sales of marijuana in our streets. But possession should not be a crime. And that's episode five. Again, we throw a lot of throwbacks to that. And finally, one that always people like to... Uh, I would like to talk about here on ABC, and I, I, I devoted some time to it in one of my very first episodes, I think it was episode two, 2018. 2018 is apparently when the FBI opened an investigation into Hunter Biden, which is very interesting to me. That's a, quite a while ago. It came up again this week because, according to a, w- a report in the Washington Post, um, that agents for that, not the not the prosecutors say that there's enough to charge Hunter Biden for crimes and the crimes that they talked about are one that I, you know, income not reported, which I, as I said in episode two, that's where I thought there was a lot of vulnerability. And also whether or not he lied on a gun application, because in some of the photographs that were found in his laptop, there are photographs of guns and whether or not he lied on application about that. Now, it's going to be up to the U.S. attorney who is a Trump holdover in Delaware that that the you know, Merrick Garland said we're going to leave the Trump holdover there just so there's no intimation that there's any. Any influence? This as a Trump guy. There, he's going to make the decision. I want to make sure you understand: agents don't make the decision whether to charge someone. A uh, the U.S. Attorney does. And um, and finally, uh, the the issue that the number of the week that we usually use to in, introduce whatever my monologue of the week, and that is zero point zero zero nine four. That is the percentage of members of the New York State Legislature. Two out of two hundred and thirteen who are sponsoring legislation to end the Columbus Day holiday in our state. And yet that's enough. That's all you need for uh, tabloid headlines. There was one in the New York Post, Democrats seek to roll back Columbus holiday. It's enough for radio rants. We've, we hear them all the time. We'll probably, Curtis and I, will have a couple of them a little bit later in our show, uh, Left versus Right. <clears throat> it's enough for politicians to go hold press conferences on the other side, how outrageous that is. It's basically catnip for a media media ecosystem that needs, above all else, they need conflict. And obviously, um, that's a controversial position to do away with the Columbus Day holiday. And let's face it, both sides are to some degree playing a game here. You wouldn't be able to pick out Assemblywoman Mityanis out of a lineup. Yet she's got the cameras in her face because she sponsored this legislation. Uh, on the other hand, right-wing news outlets get to write their headlines that they want, like the New York Post did. Uh, but some of this comes down to uh, it. Some of it's our fault as a country. You know, we are into myth making. We like it. You know, we've done it about our founding fathers. We've done it about other figures. We've done it a little bit about Columbus. You know, is Columbus a hero or a villain? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's he's, <laughs> he's he's whatever story that. You want to tell, but our whole country is about a narrative. Uh, It's all about a story. It's 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 a story that we love. Stories are powerful. Like religion is a story, and and when you are trying to form a country or keep one together that is diverse as ours, you need these stories. Um, But we also have history, and we have information that is more and more democratically and with a small d held. I mean, people have access to the internet. They have access to libraries. We have access to higher education. Um, I kind of remember I can't trying to remember who originally said that there's no truth there 's only perception. I think it was Flaubert or someone fancy like that. But you could really be talking about the United States of America you know there 's no truth, there 's only perception, like we all have the way we view these different things. um We are going to keep the Columbus Day holiday. We should keep the Columbus Day holiday because it 's a celebration of one of the truly great stories of america it 's the story of what Italian emigres have meant to our land it's a story of perseverance um, and we're but we can also look at the namesake of the holiday with open eyes. He was a profoundly important person to the founding of our world I mean it's this globalized world of that we take for granted today he he made the big connection between east and west. he ushered in this modern Western world and he traveled an uncharted ocean and Age 40 or 41, no one knows for sure what his age was, nor do we know what he looks like. There's no portraits of him that were of, of his time. Um, but he was also other things. He was an enslaver and a murderer of indigenous people that, that in what is now Central and South America. And even by the standards of the times, he was brutal. He was called back to, to Spain and arrested for his brutality. So do we take down his statute? No, we don't do that. But when we take our kids there on Monday after the Columbus Day Parade, Uh, Maybe it should be part of the story. And by the way, just as when we walk in, when our kids walk into Stuyvesant High School, our very best high school in New York City, or they walk into Stuyvesant Park and play there where my son plays after school. They should be told that that guy with the peg leg that we all adore because he was part of our founding of New York City was one of the most virulent anti-Semites in New York City history. Should we take down his statue? No, we shouldn't, But, but it's okay. To tell that story, knowledge is not a vice. History is not our, our enemy. Um, but what about monuments to hate or racism or, or slave owners, and and what if they're in the committal of communities that, bear the pain of those people? Like this is a tougher question, you know. And and do we remove those monuments and, you know, that are used just as a cover for people who want to hate? That's a much tougher question. When we come back from the break, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and then I'd love to hear some of your takes on it, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful for you to be here, and I'll see you on the other side of the break.
0: see. Talk Radio 77, WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC.
1: This is Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday from 2 to 3 at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in. That is The Who. I asked Rich to choose some Who songs because my friend Arthur Adala told me that he went out to see The Who at UBS Arena. This is kind of the one with, maybe, it's a very long walk to get into this song. Very long walk. This Eminence Frontis" is from uh, one of their last, I can't remember what album is from anyway um, we're talking a little bit about mythmaking storytelling where the role of history you know we're not like some countries you know that we've been around for generations and generations being homogeneous you know you all know Italy wasn't even wasn't even a country formally yet you know it's it's we, Columbus was the air you know that that we now now come to know is as Italy but we in the United States you know the, we have these origin stories about our country that were told by a group of people. And it's a spotty history. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's okay. It's okay. What I find that is not okay is this idea that any telling of our history that is not pristine is somehow teaching our kids not to like our country. No, I think that what we, ours as a country of continually trying to get better which is what we want all our kids to always aspire to be. We're a country that is imperfect, but wants to get better. So that when we teach about the, pick one, pick anything, pick the Chinese Exclusion Acts, you know, where we basically said we're not going to have any Chinese coming into this country because we were appealing to the, I mean, it's a tiny number of people. This is in the 1800s. Tiny numbers of people were Chinese here, but we had unemployment in the Western frontier of our country, and so they were blaming the Chinese and that, that, was enshrined in our countries, you know, as it was racist. Um, the Japanese internment camps during World War II. Um, just racist. It's but but, you know, I, I mean, our history of anti-Semitism, our history of racism facing the the Irish and Italian when they came, when the communities when they came here. These are things that people should learn. It's, we should talk about. We should. It, they're, they're, history is neither good nor bad. It is history. What is good nor bad is what we then make of it. And so this conversation about critical race theory, which people are using, like this idea that college kids should not look at our laws and say, how have they been influenced by the fact that the people writing those laws were eager to protect an economy based on slavery? I mean, that I would hope that people in college now, it's not something that's taught in elementary schools and junior high schools like the, the troublemakers want you to believe. <laughs> that's not the case. But talking about just talking about slavery, does it help us explain why Lincoln was a great man? Of course it does. And that's why I wanted – that's why it gets much tougher if you buy into my explanation at the beginning of, like, why we should continue to honor Columbus but do it with open eyes and why we should keep Columbus Day as a holiday. And there's, but there's nothing wrong with saying also this is a holiday that we dedicate to, to millions of unseen Italian-Americans who have been living the highest ideals of our country and who are the backbone of our community. But then what do you do about monuments in the South? What do you do monuments to people who are not notable for anything except wanting to keep slavery as part of our country, to wanting to own other human beings? And what do you do if those communities are now populated by those by those people who see those who who's who don't see this as, as hat tips to culture or ideology or something like that, who but see this as celebrating the enslavement of not of their great 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 grandparents but of their grandparents or in some cases their parents even uh, grandparents grandparents probably then i think it's then it, to me it becomes a better and easier argument for those statues you do remove because those are things that if the only thing that you're celebrating is a person who has done grotesque things um i do think that that's a better argument for for if, at the end of the day monuments should not cause people pain that's not what you want a monument to be doing. But this is; these are tough, tougher calls. 848 WABC, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Or you can just come wave at me at the Columbus Day Parade. I'll be on the on, on the WABC float. We're going to have a full delegation there on Sunday on, on Monday, and we look forward to to seeing you there. So these are tough issues. But let me just conclude, and before we take some calls, because the board is filling up with a lot of different input on this. I guess the thing that I would say is that. In the final analysis, say, saying we're going to ignore the history, not teach the history, or pretend the history didn't happen is not the way we advance as a country. It's not the way we would advance if we were a business. It's not the way we would advance educating our kids. It's not the way we would advance in our relationship with our loved ones. Our history is our history. And maybe I'm particularly sensitive to this idea because I believe in the idea and this is something that when I got into recovery I really embraced, this idea that you come not to regret your past, even the painful parts, because all of it is what makes us what we are today. And that's true of a country as well. Our past, you come not to regret it. It is part of our history. It's how we today take those lessons and tell the stories and add to the stories and layer on the stories. And let me just say one other thing. There is no such thing as a... You know, we make heroes. We make heroes. We make myths. They're made by human beings. We make them. We can change them. We can modify them. We can add nuance to them. We can clarify them. And so I think that when the debate that we have sometimes around Columbus Day becomes performance by politicians, performance by radio hosts, performance by people who want to sell newspapers and who want to – who much rather watch the fight than really get to any kind of truth. And so um, hopefully – that's something that we can push off from today. So we have a lot of things on the board since I um, when, since I introduced some of these issues. So let's let's get to a few of them. First, let's go to Peter in New Jersey. Peter, fire away.
2: Hello, and thank you uh, for giving a platform like this. I my point when the uh, guy picked up is what does tearing stuff down really change? Like so, tearing it down makes it not to have existed. Like Back to the Future, he disappears out of a picture. The education you said a couple of things after I had called in that you hit the nail on the head. If we don't teach people and it doesn't mean indoctrination, it's teaching them and 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 encouraging them to listen to thousands of different opinions from thousands of different sides of points of view. and then, as we grow as adults we we take pieces of what we've learned over a lifetime it, life and and our experiences. Or what guide us to what is right or wrong? I don't know what skews someone's ability to have common sense or the ability to choose morality over evil or whatever you want to call. It. Yeah, tearing well, stuff down to pretend it doesn't or didn't exist. We're doomed. Thank you. Well, I,
1: Peter, you you make a good point, but with a big but. You know, what do you do about truly dark chapters whose – even the icons of those chapters cause pain? Um, you know, Germany had to wrestle with this question, right? They they went as far as to make it a crime to say certain things about uh, – a, a, a crime to have certain symbols on your wall – you know, we have a little bit of a different history around speech, a little different constitutional structure. But, you know, I I, I know that when, you know, when it, it wasn't uncommon for me as a Jewish elected official, from time to time, if someone wanted to commit an act of vandalism, they would put a swastika on the door of my office. And for a lot of kids, I bet you they just knew that was something that got people really upset. They didn't really know what the meaning of or whatever it was. But you – and – but the, the very symbol in that community that I represented, that very symbol, is so heated and evocative. And I know we have to be careful because there's a lot of space between Nazi Germany and someone who who did different things. But the problem with statutes to someone whose sole value in that community was they fought like the Dickens to keep slaves, to make sure we divide, broke up as a country because they felt so deeply about the idea that slavery was the right thing to do. What do you do in that case? I agree that I guess what I would summarize and say that both sides ism is not always the way there is no both sides ism about slavery. There's no both sides ism about some things. Right. And so I think we're capable and I think that you make an excellent point. We are capable as human beings of nuance but it is a tough call right because while I, while I can see there's a lot of nuance to the story of columbus and the story of 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 what he's come to represent and i don't think you can say there's that much nuance to 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 robert e lee or to someone that fought that whose sole entry in wikipedia is that he fought hard to keep slavery as the law of the land so they can continue um you know, what about Sandra in New Jersey? Sandra has an idea. Sandra, go ahead. Thank you for joining us.
3: Hi, hi, Anthony. I really enjoy listening to you. You're very intelligent. Um, I think we're thinking, instead of knocking down statues from the past, why don't we also have new statues of the future and have them next to each other before and after, and each leader will have something good and maybe something not so good. But instead of knocking down what happened... And, and putting a blind eye to it, we 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 accept what happened, the good and the bad, and we have new statues right next to them, maybe to show new thinking and progress. Yeah, you I mean,
1: Sandra, you're I I really like that idea. It it be well because it kind of seconds the idea that I have that that on on Monday when people come out for the Columbus Day parade, it's supposed to be a beautiful day. Going to the Columbus Day, you know, having Saying to your someone who liked Who's Jordan's Age, you know, what's the story you know of Columbus, you know, and is it, what's that song in 1492? I don't know how it, you know, basically discovered America. Like, we, okay, we know things are not, we, we learn more things. I have a tougher question, though, and, and maybe it goes to this whole conversation. Why do we need to mythologize people at all? Like, why do we need, it's great, you know, we have, like, who gets a statue now, you know, who, why? Because the reason we had it as a young country was that we needed this connective tissue in the way we talked about our country. And what's better than having these heroic figures riding through the night? You know, I mean, if you, the, much of the military history that's been written about George Washington said has now showed us that he was a lousy general. <laughs> but I, I don't. There's no reason just to tear the guy down. He's, he did the remarkable things, or a lot of things. We know did he do that thing with the with cutting down the cherry tree and whatnot? I don't know. I, I'm not sure we need to have these. We, we need to reduce someone to just one thing. And the difference with Columbus Day is Columbus Day is not one thing. It's the general ethos of a, of the Italian American experience, which in and of itself is is so diverse. It runs the gambit from the the guys that that made this, that were pouring the steel and erecting the buildings to members of the Supreme Court. I mean, even, you know, I, I, I have no, that's what Columbus Day has come to mean more and more. Um, but there's no reason why we can't say, listen, you know, you know who this is named after. I mean, I pointed out Peter Stuyvesant, the, the statue to my son. They play in the park there after school. And he looked at the peg leg and I said, you know what he's known for? He said, yeah, he's the guy that got the high school. Because he's already heard of Stuyvesant High School at that age, um, and Stuyvesant is right where Stuyvesant Park used to be. It hasn't. It wasn't always on the west side of Manhattan. Uh, and I told him some of the stuff about him and how he was very influential in the way you know he was one of the this, this, the the original settlers who 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 would who would you know you would say a, who would a real father of New York City. He was a horrible anti-Semite. I wouldn't say take down the statue. I'd say tell that story like I did like I did to Jordan. Um, but it is tougher if you're an African-American who lives in Macon, Georgia, and there's a there's a statue in your neighborhood park in your 90% black community of, of Robert E. Lee. I don't know if I'd feel the same way. Michael in Brooklyn. Go ahead, Michael. What do you think?
4: Hey, Anthony. So I don't know. It feels like it's like almost like a crime to even kind of back Columbus. And I've gotten into so many like little disputes over people as soon as I say – you know, he wasn't, he did more than just, you know, kill a lot of people. So I just wanted to, maybe if you could just give a quick answer on like what to say against people who are just dead set on just anti-Columbus and that who only, only ever bring up, you know, the the bad that he did and never even go past that and actually learn things that he actually accomplished.
1: Well, I mean, what I would say, Michael, and thank you so much for calling. I mean, what I would say is that you don't need to persuade people. People, you know, that we're in a recent, we're in an environment now that like people may think that people may think that it disqualifies him the things that he did to the indigenous people and that to be could to be considered. Consider, you know. That is part of his story. It was such a bad part of his story that the, that the Spaniards themselves, the Spanish, the, 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 the king of Spain called him home and arrested him because he was so violent and so brutal to the indigenous people. But what I would say is that the holiday has come to mean so much more. And he's also come to represent something else. And that is the, the, the exploration that led to the, to, to the 13 colonies. Not directly, it's not a straight line, but the, the connection between the East and the West, he helped found, and that's a big deal. And when we get back from the break, we have a lot more calls on the board. We're talking about Columbus, we were, we're talking about whether to take down or put up statues. And at 3 o'clock, Curtis will comes in. He is loaded for bear, man. That guy, it doesn't take much to get him going. He wants me to take over for Eric Adams if he can't, and you'll hear what we mean by that when he comes in at 3 o'clock. You're, out, you're listening to The Middle. Thank you so much for
0: joining us. radio 77 wabc this is the middle with anthony Weiner. 77 wabc
1: Welcome back to the Middle. I'm Anthony Wiener, the Who Bring Us Back In. So Rich is stuck on the same record. This was the, but you can't tell me, Rich, can you tell me the name of the album, though? I can't remember where this came from. Who's, uh, anyway, uh, this is Anthony Wiener. You're listening to the Middle, 2 two to 3, and then at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee comes in. You can listen to us anywhere on the globe using the Radio.com or, or the radio. No, this is not live in part. This is This is the studio version. Um, and the Red Apple Podcast Network. Rich, Rich said it's live in Hyde Park now. This is the studio version. It's called Who's... Uh... All right. I'll, I'll think of it. And we're talking face dances. There you go. Um, so uh, we're talking a little bit about the uh, Columbus Day, but we also have some people who want to respond to some of my numbers of the week. And uh, let's let's get a few of them. Let's spice this up a little bit. Let's get back to the things that, that are in the news today. Uh, Sal in Long Island. Sal, thank you so much for holding on.
2: Hey, Anthony, how are you? I love listening
5: to you every Saturday. I try not to miss any Saturday. Thank you, sir. Well, my my question to you is, you have been a very big supporter of Biden's in the past, and now, I think, also. But looking back, do you think the Bidens are guilty of anything, in your opinion, looking back?
1: Hunter Biden and, or Joe? I, Hunter or Joe?
2: Both. Well, okay. They all, they all did business together. No. I mean,
1: No. See, that's the part. So here, if you you go back, and by the way, I did a whole episode on this at the very beginning, episode two, I think it was. Look, I went through and read all of the stuff. I read Miranda Devine's book. I read as much as I could on the laptop. I went and I looked as I, I dug pretty deep into this. And there is no doubt in my mind at all that there's a lot of really damaging stuff about Hunter Biden's dealings in there. It's got a lot of a lot of financial stuff in there, a lot of dealing with foreign countries and everything else. Now, there are laws that are kind of complicated about what you have to disclose and what you have to. I think there's a lot to be concerned about, a lot that looks really, really bad. The problem is that too many have tried to make the leap to Joe. The references to Joe Biden in a lot of this are so tenuous. They come down to one guy who says that one reference to the big guy in one email is a reference to, to, to Joe Biden. And he says, to prove it, he has these text messages that only he has. So he took them to Fox News, a conservative outlet, Wall Street Journal, a conservative outlet, and the FBI. And all three of them thought that he was not credible. So I don't think there's a link to Joe. Now, is it bad for the president to have his son in this kind of legal trouble? Yes. But there, if you're asking me, my opinion, having read all through through this stuff, the link between... Uh, Biden and his son on business dealings is tenuous at best. Uh, next up is Ralph in New Jersey. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Okay. Uh, the, the the big question uh, right now, Anthony, is this. Is Eric Adams going to show up in the Columbus Day Parade? You know, this man, right from the get-go, doesn't have what it takes to run a city. Okay? Now, Who's he, this, Eric he, Adams? Oh, Eric Adams, right. He doesn't have what it takes uh, to run he, a city, okay. The, the, okay. And so, you know, uh, with regard to the, the declaring the state of emergency, I know Biden was here uh, either yesterday, day before. Okay, did he get the memorandum of what these illegals and the impact that they had as they pour into the city? Did, the, these he people, so hey much? Ralph,
1: Ralph, Ralph, before you go any further, the people who are streaming into the city are not illegals.
4: Oh, well
1: what, what what are they then they are there they are people that lawfully applied for asylum to stay in their country because of persecution or fear of harm if they return to their country that's law that 's legal they're, every one of them is lawful when you look at the videos i'm getting off the bus they're all holding paperwork and
4: what did the, the trump policy is to remain in mexico correct
1: no the the Trump had an agreement with the Mexicans to have more of them stay there. They no longer can can handle them any more than we can but Even that agreement is only with the Mexican. It doesn't stop someone from presenting themselves at the U.S. border and saying, "I want to, I want to apply for asylum." They're permitted. They're permitted to do that.
4: Help me understand about the state of emergency, Anthony. Does that mean Eric Adams now can these people at the Javits Center or the U.S. Citizenship?
1: Well, Ralph, Ralph a good question. We might get into this a little bit with Curtis. What exactly does it mean? And thank you so much for calling, Ralph. Call us again. What it means is, from my understanding, one, whenever you say state of emergency, it turns up the volume on a thing, and he wanted to do that. Two, I think it does give him some nominal right to bypass um, zoning and housing rules as it relates to, like, where you're allowed to put these people. But I think that he's going to get a lot of pushback in court if he doesn't follow the existing court orders. Um, and I want to I clarify something else that sometimes comes up. I don't I, Ralph might have mentioned this. This notion of, of New York City as a sanctuary city has nothing to do with their ability to have housing here, or or why they're coming here. They're coming here mostly because they want to come here, because they're new, they're offered the chance to go to New York, and they think that there's opportunities there. But the sanctuary city, all that that means is that if our authorities here find out that you're undocumented, we don't turn you into to the authorities for violation. Because, and we do that. The police department doesn't want to do that. Mayor Giuliani, when he was the mayor, uh, agreed not to do that, and it's because – you want people to feel safe reporting something to the police, even if they're undocumented. You want them to feel safe. You want them to feel that they can be a witness. If they say witness in a crime, they can go to the police. They don't have to fear getting turned in. You want them to know that they can, they can, they can show up with their kids at school or for a vaccine or inoculation and know they're not going to get arrested for doing that. That's all that Sanctuary City means. I mean, people make it it's like, oh, my God, that means we're going to write them a check and give them a job and whatnot. And I think by being in an, an emergency, I think what Eric Adams is saying is this has gotten to be – um, more than than the city can handle, and that is that's uh, you know that's that's problematic. I, I get it. I have my views on this, but that's problematic. Um, next up, uh, next up, we have um, who do we have? Okay, how about Anne in Staten Island? Anne, you'd like to talk about statues a little bit?
3: Yes, thank you, Anthony. Um, okay, I just want to start off by saying I don't think any statues should be taken down. Okay. I think they're part of our history. Um, I think that many, many statues, most people walk past them in a park, they don't even know who the heck the person is. So I think it's part of our history. We need to have them, you know, and never taken down. I mean, taking down Teddy Roosevelt, that was awful. Now, the thing that bothers me is, and it's done with a lot of research on my part, (laughs) It bothers me when people say Columbus discovered America. He discovered South America. Yeah, he, he, he didn't did discover not, America, uh,
1: but no one believes. But and in fairness, no one. I mean, that's not a hot take by you. I mean, I mean, that's that 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 has been acknowledged for some time. But the the role that he did play, he did two things that I think one that's generally commented on, and that is he created this European passage to the quote unquote colonies. He wasn't the first to do it. You know, Leif Erikson was more in the north, up in the in the in the North America. He was more down South America. By the way, to his death, he still thought he discovered Asia, but that's a whole other thing. The thing that I find interesting about the story that doesn't get – that gets overlooked a little bit, he was a – he was, you know, as the father of globalism. I mean, he really kind of was. Remember, you know, he – He didn't, he didn't go on really, uh, you know, there's also a common misconception. He was trying to show that the earth, the earth was, was not, was not flat. It was round. But what he really did, you know, he got 10% of everything that he found. He showed that capitalism really does work, right? With the incentive of a bunch of money and pearls and whatever it is. Now, um, he went to, to, to what is now, I guess, the Dominican Republic and Haiti, Española. He went there motivated by making a bunch of money. He showed that that is, that gets the – Now, what he also showed is without regulation, you're going to go and, and, and go too far and maybe enslave people or don't violate. But he's a, he's a very important figure. I don't say that he's not. I guess, I guess, and you can say don't take down any statue, but, but it is a tough question. What do you do with statues that are, you know, things like, like, Nazis or members of the Confederate. I mean, think what it's like to to live in, 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 in the south of the United States of America where there are people who are still with Confederate flags who are racist, who are racist, who lament the idea that there's no longer a slavery and there's no longer a white, you know, uh, that that blacks are no longer – uh, are now equal. Those people are around. They exist. Okay. And you've got a statue as one of their heroes right in your, outside your neighborhood school. If it's 80% black. I mean, you can see how it would, it's easy for Anthony Weiner or Anne from Staten Island to comment on this and say, you know what? What are you going to do? It's a tough, it's a much tougher question because I don't see any redeeming value in people like, um, in, in, in honoring those people. Uh, Tony in Clifton, New Jersey. Tony, go ahead.
3: I had so many things I wanted to say to you and now I'm like, what am I gonna say to this guy? I think on a lot of issues I totally don't agree with you. But I do wanna say naming things in this day and age of sensitivity training and us trying to all get along is definitely a bad thing. Why do we have to name anything? I'm with you. Um I was in Fort Gordon, Georgia, so I served in the military, and I never knew who that was, and I see they named the fort after somebody. That was like someone who was in the Civil War, in the, and the fort went up in the 40s or 50s. I mean, it, it gets crazy, so I agree with naming things. I don't know if you saw the article in the Post today that the the government who was specifically the Pentagon, is spending $2.1 million on confederate base renaming, which you and I agree with each other. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend on when we don't need to name something.
1: Yeah, I you guess know? so. I mean, but, Tony, here, and I really appreciate your call. I appreciate your but I mean, look, here's the difference with a military compound is that if you're naming it for a military leader, and it's a military leader who fought to the death to, to break up our country. <laughs> I kind of get why they want. That seems the most, that's to me the easiest call for a renaming. If you're going to name it after a military leader, at least make it someone who fought for the United States of America. And when we come back from the break, we have a few more calls. And then at the top of the hour, Curtis is going to be coming in. Curtis doesn't like the mayor hanging out with French Montana. I got to ask Rich who the heck French Montana even is. At the other side of the break. You better sure. Bet
0: Talk radio seventy seven WABC. This is the middle with Anthony Weiner seventy seven WABC.
1: I kind of like that that middle over the who bet. That's kind of nice. I like that. Rich getting creative here on a Saturday afternoon. Welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday from 2 to 3, we try to push off from the far left and the far right and try to find some common sense middle. We're really finding it today. I think there's been, you know, people have nuance. This is a tough issue, but people, I think, kind of understand that um, celebrating Columbus Day, looking at a statue, that doesn't mean that we tell all the stories exactly the same way. When Curtis comes in at uh, 3 o'clock for Left versus Right. He and I sometimes tell the story of New York a little bit differently. We kind of came up at a very similar time, so we've had a lot of common experience. And you can always listen to this by listening to, to, to the app or wabcradio.com. And then shortly after the show ends, it is available everywhere you get podcasts and on the Red, Red Apple Podcast Network, 800 wabc We have a few more minutes. We have a few more uh, calls. When I do my numbers of the week, sometimes it, people... Latch on to slightly different things. Someone wants to, uh, to talk about marijuana. Hey, George in Rockland County, you want to talk about marijuana today?
5: Yes, but uh, definitely. But first, I'd like to say, uh, rest in peace, Bertie. You were a wonderful host, gracious, smart, and other people can add more and more. Uh, you are a blessing listening to, okay, and i really going to miss not hearing your voice. Amen. Uh, Amen. Thank
1: you, George. Thank you for adding your voice. I think you speak for a lot of our listeners.
5: Something very special, okay? Now, marijuana, okay? And I'd like to make clear, I don't talk about medical marijuana. Uh, Medical marijuana did help, and is helping people. I'm talking about recreational, okay? I don't feel sorry that people that went to jail, I would triple their sentence, because a lot of them are drug dealers, a lot of them... Uh, using a uh, uh, you know to to bite uh committed a lot of crime you know it's an entry uh, a drug uh, a lot of them using used other type of uh, drugs here there are impaired people which are yeah i
1: I think pregnant. all of that I tell you George all of that is true and when we when we focused on this when when I did a whole episode on this and I expressed very similar. Concerns about this. I think it was episode five and I talked about how for my brother it might have been a gateway drug. I am very concerned about recreational use of it. But when people who are arrested just for possessing something that is now legal to possess, I think it's reasonable to say you should grant those people pardons. Um, I think it's, it's, it's reasonable to make that distinction. And obviously, medical marijuana is its own different thing. I think that there's a lot of opportunity to use to to, to try new things out. Um, to use for from, from medicinal purposes. That's a very different story. Uh, Eric in Queens. Eric, fire away. Yeah, Anthony, nice to
6: talk to you. Um, real quick story. My great-grandfather emigrated from post-World War I Germany, and my uncle was the first person to be born in America. My family, from the day they got here, had an American flag in front of their house. My uncle served in World War II and voluntarily signed up to fight against his native country. Now, Do you think if my uncle was brought up in today's education system that he would have that much American pride, that he'd be willing to fight against his fellow brothers and cousins in a war? Probably not.
1: Why do you say that?
6: Well, you can ask my 17-year-old stepdaughter who really doesn't think America is that great, and that's not for me or her mom who's an immigrant. That's from the school system.
1: Well, but, but does she have a reason to think that?
6: Well... We, we can go right back to what you claim is not being taught to children, uh, critical race theory and the likes
1: thereof. Well, she is not. I mean, she probably she's 17. Maybe she is. Yeah, she's. But I mean, how do you let me ask you? I mean, this is a rhetorical question. How do you teach about a great man like Abe Lincoln without talking about the, the scourge of slavery?
6: So, so we used to leave that to the so-called higher education to teach about the controversial history, right? Well, we wait a minute. Hold thing. on.
1: Hold on a second. You, you think that that when you're learning about our country. I mean, I don't. I don't know what higher education means. You don't think you should learn about Abe Lincoln in in junior high school?
6: Well, we want to. Well, hold on a minute. We want to teach our children the good part of our history, right? When they're five, six, seven, eight, nine
1: years old. What do you mean, right? No, no, I don't agree with that. I I believe. And thank you very much for calling, Eric. Look, I, I believe you. You teach about Abe Lincoln in junior high school, or even younger than that. Jordan learned about Martin Luther King and Abe Lincoln. And Abe Lincoln, how do you tell that story without talking about slavery? It makes no sense. What do you mean the good things? We're a great country because we get better every day. We're a country about progress. I don't understand. So teach the good things. Is that? I mean, I could never imagine being a father who just taught my son about good things. And to and to hear the history that Eric told, and thank you so much for for calling in, Eric. I'll call back in the history of Eric that 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 the that Hitler and Nazi Germany was such an important part of his family story. How do you tell that story without explaining it? I, I listen. Here's what I here's where I come down. I come down that history is is a perception of things, and we learn more, and we're capable of holding multiple thoughts in our head. We're capable of saying that the accomplishments of Italian-Americans are amazing. Does that mean that every single Italian-American is amazing? Of course not. Does that mean that Columbus was perfect? No. These are tough issues, but we're adults. We have the we have the ability to understand them. We have the ability to impart these lessons to our children. And that's one of the things we try to do here on WABC Radio. Thank you so much for joining me on The Middle. When we come back on the other side, I'll be joined by Curtis Lee on left versus right. I feel very grateful to be an American today and very grateful that you joined us on The Middle.